Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. The AG told us the Mueller report is coming within a week. So what? The only thing that matters is how much of it is coming out. And today... We saw that the AG is playing hardball. The Democrats are suspicious, and they have a plan to get more that is almost certain to get ugly. We're going to ask the committee chairwoman who went at it with the AG today in their meeting. We also have one of the president's biggest folks, California's Governor Gavin Newsom. You know where he is? Central America. And he has a reality check for you that you will not hear from this president. And Democratic Congresswoman Omar calls POTUS's top aide, who's Jewish, a white nationalist. POTUS says that makes her an anti-Semite. Does it? Great debate. My friends, let's get after it. So our Attorney General Bill Barr made it clear today that he ain't given what the Democrats want in terms of disclosure of the Mueller report. And they made it clear they don't trust him and they won't accept anything less than all. So what are the Democrats really bothered by? especially the chair of the Appropriations Committee, a longtime vet in Congress. She made it clear she was not buying what the AG was selling on a number of topics regarding the White House. Why? We have her. Here is what Congresswoman Nita Lowy has to say about it. It is very good to have you, Nita Lowy, Congressman from New York. Thank you for being on primetime. Always a pleasure for me to have a conversation with you anytime. So even though I have an inside track because I've known you a long time, you don't have to know Nita Lowy to know that the congresswoman was not happy today during the hearing. What is your problem with the AG? What is your concern? Well, the hearing started in a very organized way. But as soon as we talked about that four-page letter, and I asked him whether he discussed it with the White House, At that point, he just shut down. So it was clear to me that the White House had some input in the letter, and we intend to pursue our questioning so we get to the truth. What do you know? When did you know it? We need the facts. And frankly, I look forward to reading not just the four-page letter, which we all have seen, But I look forward to seeing the whole report, and I'm very pleased that another New Yorker, Jerry Nadler, will subpoena the whole report so we can review it. Look, that's my responsibility as a member of Congress. Well, let's look at it from the other side. Uh, Going the subpoena route, saying you think the White House had input, the AG told you he doesn't think the White House had input. He thinks a member of his staff may have read it to them when they were releasing it. They didn't have a chance to control the content. And if you subpoena them, you're making this a fight. Why not just wait and see what he releases? Well, Chris, I never like to disagree with you, Mm. but I don't think he was quite as cordial and open in his role in dealing with the White House. Who did he speak to? Who reviewed it? 
look, we have to get the whole report. Four pages is a beginning. We need to get, whether it's 300 or 400, we need to get the whole report. I have a responsibility to my constituents. Jerry Nadler has a responsibility as chair of the committee, and we need to get to the bottom of it. This is, this is absolutely essential to democracy. What about the idea that reports are redacted all the time? Why is this one so different? Good. We'll see the report. We know that Mr. Mueller spent a long time on this report. I want to know what's been redacted and who encouraged the, the redaction of the report. It's essential that we have the facts. I want to read the whole report. So no redactions for you. What do you think is in there that they're going to hide? What is fueling your suspicion? Frankly, I am not giving any possible question in advance. I want to see the whole report. I know what has to happen, and we need that whole report. Now, there's a theory that one way you can guarantee that you get the whole report, maybe even more than a subpoena battle, because you would then have a legal fight on your hands, is if impeachment hearings were started. Are the Democrats even thinking about going that far just to get the unredacted report? Oh, Chris, I never want to get to that point in order to get a report. We should get that report, and I'm not even talking about impeachment. In fact, the attorney general said that he wasn't even reviewing anything with the president. So I want to get that report. I'm not talking about impeachment. And in fact, Speaker Pelosi, my mm -hmm. friend, a great leader, has made it clear she's not going to focus on impeachment. We want to know what happened, who was involved, what did the president see, who did he talk to. Let's get that whole report, and every one of us has a responsibility to read it. The word from Congressman Nadler is, as soon as that report is released by Mueller and it is redacted, the subpoenas go out. Are you okay with that? I think that my friend, the chair, Jerry Nadler, knows exactly what he's doing and will follow the appropriate process. I support him and I support the work of the committee. I'll do my job on appropriations, and I was glad that the attorney general came before us. But you notice, as soon as we talked even a little bit about the White House and mm. what he showed them and what he didn't show them, he shut down. We never heard another thing. What about his argument that, hey, I thought this was an appropriations hearing. You guys are coming at me guns blazing uh, like this is an extension of the Mueller probe. I thought we were here to talk about my budget. We certainly did talk about the budget, but he's the attorney general of the United States of America. And if he was involved in any actions that are going to be reported in the Mueller report, mm -hmm. we have a responsibility to get all that information. Now, indulge me for a second, Congresswoman. Yes. You don't trust something about the attorney general. I saw it in your demeanor. I saw it in your questions. What piqued your interest today? What was it that was said or that what wasn't said that made you think not on my watch? Look, Chris, I ask a question. If someone has nothing to hide, they respond to the question. But as soon as we mention, as soon as I mention any interaction with the White House, he shut down the whole discussion. And then, frankly, 
I became aware, if not suspicious, about maybe there was some interaction with the President of the United States. I don't know, but I think we have a responsibility to find out. You think uh, this attorney general is a fair broker? You think he's just going by the book? <laughs> Look, I could talk about the letter he wrote to the president in 2018 when he was interviewing for this job. I don't know him well. I don't know him at all. All I know is I need all the information. I need his involvement. I need to know what he said to those people at the White House before he released the four pages. And then we need to know what is the involvement of the White House. I don't know if it's the president mm. or if it's Mulvaney or if it's someone else at the White House. We need to just know the facts. Congresswoman Nita Lowy, always a pleasure. Thank you uh, for letting us know where your head is on these important issues. Take care. Bye. I'm telling you, this is going to get ugly. Everybody's talking about when the report comes out. That is just going to be the beginning of the process. Remember that. The president pushing back today on the news that he may separate families again. But did he tell you the truth? Time to bring in the fact checker of all fact checkers, Daniel Dale. Later, California's governor is in Central America. He says he has a message from there that you are not hearing from this POTUS. What is it? Ahead. Another head of state, this time Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, forced to bear witness to our president spreading wild claims to the press. Time for fact versus fugazi. Washington bureau chief for the Toronto Star, Daniel Dale is here. It's good to have you back on primetime. Thanks for having me, Chris. All right, this was a good one for you today. You popped right into my head after I heard that presser. Uh, first claim here. You wanna talk about separating kids, Obama. He's the one who was all about that. Listen to the president. President Obama had child separation. I didn't have, I'm the one that stopped it. President Obama had the law, we changed the law. And uh, I think the press should accurately report it, but of course they won't. What's the truth? This is a brazen attempt to rewrite history. There were some occasional family separations under Obama in exceptional circumstances, like when parents were thought to be a threat to the child, the parent was apprehended carrying drugs, and so on. But it was only under Trump that family separation became a routine, systematic policy. And it was Trump's own policy, not a law. There's no law here. It was a discretionary policy decision uh, proudly announced by Trump's own officials to routinely criminally prosecute anyone uh, apprehended crossing the border. And that's what resulted in the separation of children from parents. So Trump takes a little grain of truth here. Yes, it sometimes happened under Obama. Yes, it eventually stopped under Trump and, and twists it into something that's, that's mm. you know, not, not factual in the slightest. It stopped because a judge made it stop. There's an injunction against it right now. And that executive order really put it on Congress to figure out what the rules should be. And I don't have a problem with that. You know what he's doing? He's mixing up unaccompanied minors that came here in 2014 and caused all that drama on the border and that were treated so poorly by the Obama administration as separating kids. I bet you anything he's confusing the two. Next one. Um, okay, this is about, again, another straight attack on, hey, it's not me. It's got to be somebody else. Okay, it's Obama. Okay, it's the Democrats. You don't like my way. You know what they want? Open borders. Take a listen. With the Democrats in Congress not willing to act, they want to have open borders, which means they want to have crime. They want to have drugs pouring into our country. Now, 
Daniel, before you grade this one, on this show I say all the time, I do not get the Democrats are refusing to own this opportunity here. There's opportunity to help the CBP, give them what they need on the border, expose how the fence was a farce as a complete fix. They've been very quiet. Although California Governor Gavin Newsom is in El Salvador, he's got a message from there. We're going to have him on later. How do you judge this in terms of truthiness? Well, I think the phrase open borders is an effective piece of political framing, but that's in part because it's so rarely challenged for its factual inaccuracy by the media. And I think we should challenge it because it's, it's, it's simply not at all accurate. You know, Democrats, of course, support a less restrictive immigration policy than Trump. For example, they don't support a border wall. But over the last 10 years, they've offered billions of dollars and voted for billions of dollars in various kinds of security to the Border Patrol for sensors, you know, for high-tech imaging systems. And so it's simply not true to say that Democrats want open borders when they support all kinds of restrictions that are that are simply not a wall. In fact, the fencing that the president is saying he's building right now, we have a fact check on that in a second. A lot of it is money appropriated by Congress, including Democrats, for That's, more absolutely. fencing. Never heard a single one say that they are for open borders. And we ask. All right. Next one. This issue that we're dovetailing into right now, that the president's saying, not only am I promising the wall, not only is it going to happen, it is happening right now. Listen. We are uh, building a lot of wall. It's getting built. Some of you saw that last week when we went. uh, We had a a great presentation of a new stretch. Hmm. New stretch. Stretching the truth. Daniel Dale. It is stretching the truth. So zero new miles of wall has been built. Trump has said a hundred times, literally a hundred times, Chris, that the wall is under construction. What Trump visited was a two-mile stretch of replacement fencing that last year, before Trump started claiming that it was new wall, the Border Patrol went out of its way to tell the media was not part of Trump's wall. They said this is a long-planned replacement project initially planned in 2009 in the Obama era. So Trump, having not built any new wall, is trying to claim that that fence is new wall. It simply is not. Hmm. And you know what he's doing? He keeps saying it because you know what? It works. I do a radio show on Sirius XM every day, 12 to 2 Eastern. I'm telling you, a lot of people who support the president or just support border security, which is a pretty easy sell. You have over half the country who wants to be safer and if physical barriers are part of that, great. They think it's being built, too, because they've heard him say it. That's why he repeats. That's why he repeats, Daniel Dale, because it's effective. And that's why we need you to counter it. Thank you very much. Thank you, as always. All right. Muslim Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, under fire again, from the right again, for yet another tweet. This time, what did she say? She went after the man on your screen, the president's aide, Stephen Miller, Jewish. She's now accused of anti-Semitism, again, for going after him. Fair criticism, great debate, and a big 2020 event is just minutes away. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand about to take center stage in a CNN town hall. How is she doing in terms of her positioning in the party? Too far left? Does she need a moment? Will she get it? 10 Eastern, right back with primetime. California Governor Gavin Newsom is in El Salvador, and he says the president is playing it all wrong and that what he is doing now is going to come back to haunt us at our borders and beyond. We just talked with him in the midst of his travels. Here he is. Governor, thank you for joining primetime. Great to be here, Chris. I can hear it in your voice. I know you're not 100 percent, but I also know that going down there matters enough to you to make sure that people understand what you've learned. So thank you for taking the opportunity. What did you learn? What are you learning about why we're seeing what we're seeing on our southern border down in El Salvador? 
It's simple, a lack of opportunity, uh, economic insecurity, the disorder that manifests uh, in lack of hope. Uh, the fact is the Northern Triangles are, are unstable because of lack of investment. And as a consequence, that's what leads to migration. And I think for us to have a debate about immigration policy in the United States that is framed around a border and a wall is to lose sight of the bigger picture, is what lies underneath. The story starts here, particularly in El Salvador, and it starts uh, with a frame of understanding and a capacity of understanding the history, the history not just of El Salvador, the history of the United States in El Salvador and other Northern Triangle countries. What would you direct people to? What do they need to know? Well, they need to know that there's a lot of opportunity down here. There are a lot of extraordinary things actually happening down here. Uh, there's a sense that you can't walk the streets. Uh, there's violence uh, everywhere you turn. Uh, there's no tourism. There's no economic opportunity or growth. Quite the contrary. Uh, the fact is we've been all parts of this country and we've seen uh, people doing extraordinary things, including just today, uh, meaning 30 young people that come from some of the most uh, violent parts of this country doing computer coding with the aid of the United States of America. That's the aid the president of the United States now has cut off programs that are working that have manifested, by the way, Chris, in a 53% reduction in homicides here in the last three years. It is a pathway, what the president is promoting, a pathway to more migration, mm -hmm. to more strife, more consternation on the American border. So folks, I think, need to turn their attention to how to solve problems by beginning to build a wall here an economic opportunity, a framework of building a business wall, an opportunity of investing in building a wall uh, that would ultimately create the conditions uh, where we don't have the kind of tit-for-tat, zig-for-zag, uh, and the kind of tweet-to-tweet -tweet foreign policy that we currently do in America today. You met with the president there. What does he make of our president saying, I'm going to cut off your money unless you start keeping your people away from our border? Is that going to get better action <laughs> well, in terms of helping our border situation? People are, their jaws drop down here. Regardless of party, there's a lot of career diplomats down here, a lot of Republican appointees, not just Democratic appointees. Um, people are very cautious. They want to keep their jobs. Uh, but there's not an individual I met that was just, not just shocked. Because two days prior, uh, two days prior, members of the current administration, the president's administration, members of our foreign, uh, um, uh, foreign staff here from the State Department on down, MCC, INL, forgive me all these acronyms, but right. USAID folks were just signing memorandums of understanding uh, to regionalize and recommit to our economic development strategies in this part of the world. Two days later, we get a tweet saying all those programs need to stop. Uh, in essence, we're saying this is a failed state. In essence, we're saying we're giving up. At a time when people feel like we're finally making some progress, uh, it is just remarkable uh, how demoralizing uh, that tweet uh, was and how hopeful people are uh, that the president may come to a census and may realize the error of his ways uh, and the American people understand that what he's doing will make things much worse. Uh, and ultimately, uh, only he, I think, could come to that conclusion in hopefully short time uh, and get us back on track. Now, anybody who does just a little bit of Googling is going to understand why the governor of California would be down there on the basis of need and practicality. Uh, governor, uh, the 
state of California is basically a country in and of itself. If you look at the size of the economy, you have unique border sensitivities. And yet the members of your party are treating this issue like it's the plague, in my opinion. Uh, only a handful of them have even gone down to the border. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to come on the show to talk about it. They have a hands-off approach. You're down there. You're taking a leadership position. It must project Gavin Newsom as governor onto the national stage. Is that part of your consideration in doing this? No, I look, I just, I represent the largest state, the most diverse state uh, in the world's most diverse democracy. I, I live in a state and govern a state where 27% of us are foreign born, where half the El Salvadoran population resides. Close to 40% of our state's Hispanic. By the way, that's the future of America. Uh, and in many ways, uh, California has gone through the, the you know, phobia. We've gone through the nativism uh, in our past. I, I said this a few weeks back to someone. I said, uh, quite literally, 2019 in America is a lot like the 1990s in California. Uh, we went through the same process uh, of, of reconciling uh, this diversity and realizing that it's a strength. Uh, and ultimately recognizing the border not as an impenetrable wall, but as a way to manage cross-border collaboration, cross-border economic development. And so I think we have an obligation, Democratic Party, uh, not to play in Donald Trump's frame, uh, but to play on our own playing field. California understands how to manage a border. We have the largest border crossing in the Western Hemisphere, right. the most diverse population. And those relationships are absolutely foundational. Uh, and I think governors, not just federal representatives, need to take the time and seek to understand these conditions. I totally get it. You have good cover on taking this trip because of the state that you're the governor of and the challenges it has. But it makes me wonder, whether or not the virus you know, you're know, you battling right now might be the presidential flu, Governor. Is there any chance that that's what you thought <laughs> down there in El Salvador? No, it, it, quite the contrary. And Chris, I know this extends a narrative and gets us off a talking point, but I think this also was remarkable uh, that, and it's important that I communicate uh, a, a knowledge that I did not even uh, imagine to have some 60 hours after visiting here, China, was celebrating popping champagne corks when the president of the United States sent out that tweet saying we were going to give up foreign aid in the Northern Triangle. Them. China tried to, yeah, it's a huge opportunity. We are walking away and China's trying to build ports out here, trying to take over a coastline for economic uh, opportunity, an economic zone. Watch this space. It's profoundly important. And if for no other reason, the president should reconsider this investment in foreign aid into the Northern Triangle. It's to consider the relationship that he seems to be advancing, the competitive frame with China itself. Governor, thank you for taking the time. Again, sorry you're sick, but thank you for helping our audience understand some of the complexity of this issue. Feel better. Honored. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Governor Gavin Newsom, thank you. Very interesting how different the take is he had talking to people down there, that they're talking about opportunity, not just sending you their worst that they want to be able to keep their best. It's very interesting. That's why you got a different perspective so you can figure out where you are on an issue. The legal troubles for a Hollywood star caught up in that massive college admission scandal just got worse. Actually, a lot worse. Actress Lori Loughlin. If prosecutors get what they want, she's going to do time in prison and more time than you might expect. I got the new charges and the implications with D. Lemon next. So what do you think of this? Congresswoman Ilhan Omar condemned one of POTUS's most trusted advisors, tweeting this. 
Stephen Miller is a white nationalist. The fact that he still has influence on policy and political appointments is an outrage. Miller is Jewish. Now, Omar's remarks could have been spurred by reports of Mueller's connections to nationalist groups or certain relationships he has, his hand in harsh border policies like family separation. But Republicans are now attacking her. You can't you can't call someone Jewish white nationalist. That makes you an anti-Semite. That's their argument. That's the start of tonight's great debate. Angela Rye and Steve Cortez. Thank you both. Angela Rye, you can't call a Jewish guy a white nationalist. White nationalists hate Jews. And if you do it, you're being anti-Semitic. Do you accept that criticism? I don't. Why? Because Stephen Miller is a white nationalist, and he's been one since before going into high school when he told one of his childhood friends, Chris, that they could no longer be friends because of his Latino heritage. Stephen Miller, if he's not a white nationalist, has certainly trafficked in white nationalism since high school. He went on to Duke doing the same things. He is a provocateur. He is behind many of the president's most hateful policies. He's undermined the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security by sending some of the things she was working on to conservative outlets. He is absolutely a white nationalist. He is absolutely fine with it. And there are people all over Los Angeles, where I'm sitting right now, who can demonstrate support for this from exhibit A to Z. White nationalist he is, and that does not make Ilhan Omar anti-Semitic. It makes Donald Trump a troll because he knows what the people have been saying about her as of late, and he continues to divide instead of trying to understand why people may see this senior advisor of his as a white nationalist. Cortez, why does Miller being Jewish end the conversation for you? Well, you know, first, I have to say, Angela, I, I really find it almost laughable that you're going to tell us that we should believe that he's a racist because somebody claims that they heard it on the playground in Los Angeles 20 years ago. Is that what I ago. said? I mean, that's, is that that's hardly evidence. Yeah, actually, it's exactly what you no, said. No, it's, it's uh, that's actually, hardly it's evidence. not now, what here's I said. The, there was no here's mention what's of important. a playground. And furthermore, Here, that was one example citing that it's not new to him. Important. He's true to this. That's what it means, Steve. He, Here's, here's what's important. He is absolutely a nationalist. He's an American nationalist. So am I, by the way, Pro very proudly so. Whiteness has nothing to do with it. America's not a race. And I would also point out that tolerating largely open borders, which is a situation we have in this country, is most problematic, is most dangerous for Hispanic Americans. So my community, brown people in this country, are the ones who suffer the most from our permissive border policies. We're the ones who have to deal with MS-13. When you look at the victims, for instance, they almost always have Hispanic surnames. We're the ones who had to compete in the labor market against illegal immigrant labor in a totally unfair system. So in actuality, defending America and defending our border not only defends all Americans, but it particularly protects minority Americans who suffer the most. Chris, can I just for Please a go moment, ahead, Angela. I think it's I think it's really important when we have conversations like this to ground them in fact. So if it's OK, Chris, I would love to understand what Steve's de definition of nationalism is to him. Perhaps that sure. may be the root of our problem. We don't understand it the same way. What's your definition, Steve? Nationalism, American nationalism, nationalism specifically, is pride in this country and shared values, shared values in our Constitution, things like tolerance, free enterprise, How's that different uh, than the rule of law. The rule of law. These are, this is nationalism because every country, look, and by the way, to me, they're synonymous. Largely. They're synonymous, it, but, but the, left, such a the left has, term. the left, it's not a loaded term. The left has Very tried loaded. to turn it into a loaded term. It's only loaded when you attach white to it, okay? It, when it, has it, it been used as a major political movement that it didn't have white 
attached to it. Nationalism, by the way, it's also one reason nationalism is a correct term today instead of just patriotism is nationalism is the antithesis of globalism. Globalism says that we forego our sovereignty, that we subscribe to multilateral structures in the world, um, and that America's interests don't necessarily come first. Isolationism is the opposite of globalism. No, no, and no, nationalism is the opposite of globalism. From a political philosophy standpoint, it is. Isolationism is the opposite of globalism. No, you can disagree. We, no, You're wrong. It's not America alone. It's uh, no, I'm not wrong. It's you not America wrong. alone, but it is. No, I'm not wrong, Chris. It, it's not America alone, but it is America first. And that is the definition of nationalism, of saying we will not let the United Nations run America. Uh, just like people in France okay. who are nationalists will say we will not let <laughs> Brussels no, no, look, run Look, I Europe. like that Angela wanted us to get on the same page in terms of what we're thinking and why. Which I dig we it. can't. I, I dig it. No, no, no. Look, I dig it. It's important to hear as part yeah. of disagreement with decency. Here's the problem, yeah. though, to get it back to the record, okay? Um, what Miller has done, his heritage, his religion, his blood aside, what he has done with his life gives him reasons for criticism and an apparent affinity for people who are part of ugly movements that say the same things. For example, uh, the rhetoric surrounding the travel ban and what that was saying about Muslims in general as opposed to specific ones and how it was carried out initially. The reason it got kicked out of court, that was Miller. It got refined by lawyers. What he said about the new Colossus poem being added later, suspiciously similar to what you hear from a Spencer, from what you hear from a Duke. Why does he use language like that, Steve Cortez? Why does he espouse principles that often are found in the mouths of people who believe ugly things about diversity? Look, Chris, again, I think it's very important to, to define here that defending America's borders is never about race. America is not a white country. I'm telling you we're what in, he we're said. In, How we're do you an incredibly diverse actions? country and a country that loves immigrants. But he uh, painted this country, we, Muslims we, we, as generally we, offensive. No, he no, said he did not. things not, that now white nationalists you're, no. say. Not, no, look, he now you're getting into I mean, supposition. Even when you get the past, travel ban, even when you get past the travel ban was Miller, about failed How did countries. Donald Trump announce his campaign? He rolled out his campaign saying that Mexicans were drug dealers and rapists. And as a brown person... Yes, he did, yes, Steve. He did. And as a brown no. person, he said, I would never them. understand. No. He said okay. they're sending us rapists and killers <laughs> and, and some, dealers. I assume, are look, nice people. Yes. And look, I, I will be the first to say, as I've said many times, I did not like his word well, choice. Then don't in defend it. And then don't I defend know, it. Hold on. That's, no, that, but, no, but Chris, I, attack him for what he actually said, not I what he didn't say. I just told you what he actually said. I know what he actually said because I was stunned. Among people who come here. No. Among people who come here illegally. Let me tell you something. The main part is the bad part. You know it, Steve. Go ahead, Angela. I don't. Let me say this. You may not know it, but you should know it then. I reformed my question. Go ahead, Angela. Among your definition today, the first part of which I completely can align with, but not under nationalism, perhaps under patriotism, but also in your definition, among the many that you offered, was an idea of superiority. And I think that is exactly the problem. That is exactly why Donald Trump is compared to Hitler. It is exactly why Stephen Miller has been called a white nationalist, a white supremacist, a racist, someone who is xenophobic, someone who is hateful about uh, Muslims, someone who is a very hateful individual who's rooted his policy positions and debates in hate and fear mongering because people are worried about losing their what? 
first position in the world. That is why Make America Great Again is so frustrating to so many of us. That is why white nationalism and white supremacy that we saw at the Charlottesville uh, riots and protests were problematic when Donald Trump said there are good people on both sides. That no, is why that. all of that is... That's a hoax. Okay, Steve. He did not say oh. that. I just wrote an entire article about this. Look I at the it. full text. Look at the full video, full video. He did not say there are fine people on both sides. He was talking about the monument debate. He was not talking about neo-Nazis. And for okay, you to say otherwise you know what? Well, then let's talk news, about the monument. And that is not You want to tell true. me that there were Confederates who were good people when they were slave no, owners and fighting to... No, no. He didn't say You're Confederates You're talking about monuments he said, now, right? He said there are good people on both sides of the monument debate. And by the way, there are good people on both sides of the monument debate. Now, I happen okay. to be one who well, I, I, I prefer that those monuments. <laughs> I prefer that those monuments not stand myself. But I will certainly not say that everyone who wants to preserve historical markers, even markers that represent hole. people who made a lot of mistakes, that those markers should all come out. That those people aren't. There are fine people on both sides of the monument debate. That is, that that is uh, well, something that is just clearly true. Let me tell you what they've true. got. Bad what the president points. did not fine say. People with bad ideas. That, I agree. Because they're I agree. racist. I, I don't agree They're racist them. ideology no, no, should no. not stand in right, the right, way. I got a different for point. For you to I make the joke that they're racist, racist is not ideology. true. I get it. I get it. But we exhausted this point. I want to redirect this a little bit. Uh, yeah. Steve, when they brought Candace Owens there today, okay, when she was at the hearing, that was in my humble estimation. You tell me if you disagree. Uh, she was there to blow up that hearing and to expose it right. for what she believes 100%. it is. I think that kind of dovetails a little bit with the Stephen Miller thing in terms of this. Uh, forget about white nationalism. I'm just talking about extremism of thought. You invite Candace Owens there because you want to blow it up. You want, you want to blow up what was going on in that hearing, talking about issues that the right doesn't like to deal with and doesn't like getting used as a cudgel against them. And I think you have to ask yourself, is that a good strategy if your goal is to build from your base. I get how it would help control your base, and there's always that nice twist of Candace Owens being African-American and making a lot of these arguments that you usually hear from African-Americans. But if the goal is to expand your base, why have dynamite like that injected into a hearing? No, listen, I agree. I thought that was a bad strategy, but don't blame it on Miller. That was the House Republicans. I'm not. I'm just saying the dovetail. Uh, I, I thought, yeah, of I thought it was a bad strategy. Look, I would have advocating pers- for this right. president. I want to persuade people, Americans of any color, black, brown, purple, I want to persuade them that the America First strategies are working for them. And by the way, they are, we, we are persuading people. His, uh, his sport, Hispanic support for this president is absolutely surging, uh, largely because their economic opportunity is accelerating. So that's working. Uh, let's continue by pointing out the positives. Let's persuade. Let's talk about why we defend our border just as we defend our home, just as we lock our doors at night. To me, that's the way, rather than throwing bombs. Uh, so I didn't like that strategy in front of the House committee today. All right, let's leave it there. You know why? Because that's agreement. And you got to take agreement when you you find it every once in a while. Angela Rye, well argued and appreciated. Steve Cortez, as always, thank you for being on the show. All right. So this man calls the president's rhetoric about migrants toxic. California's governor is trying to do something more. He's doing something a lot of Democrats won't do. He's diving in to the border issue. Okay, his first international trip since taking office. You know what kinds of questions that raises? Gavin Newsom is in El Salvador, and he has a message for you. He says you're not getting. Next. Prosecutors added new money laundering charges to the mess that is the college admissions scandal. You hear about this? Actress Lori Loughlin and her husband were among 16 parents hit with new charges. That means a greater chance of prison time. CNN is being told prosecutors will be asking for jail time for all defendants. Let's bring in D. Lemon. 
Here's what's interesting uh, to me. I, I'm struggling with this story a little bit. I see it on like two different levels. I see it on one of just about privilege and money and dual systems. But then I see it on this other level of just how brazen this was. They didn't get busted for paying their way into college. They got busted for trying to get a tax write-off and forwarding this Fugazi charity on top of it. Had they not done that, had they not played funny money with this charity in order to pay this guy off, they wouldn't be getting prosecuted right now. So I see it as problematic on two levels, you know? Well, I mean, they could very well go to prison. Very well. For months, if not years. I understand that uh, Lori Loughlin is in for it probably more than Felicity Huffman. Last night on the show, I did a, a story, you know, I read Felicity Huffman's apology. She's taking full responsibility mm-hmm. for it, at least in her response. I have not heard that from the Lachlans at all. And you saw her out there signing autographs and, um, and in some video on shopping sprees. Listen, I don't know what she's going through, um, so I'm not going to judge that. But it's certainly, uh, it's not good optics with this. But you're right. It is brazen. And uh, th- these are very serious crimes. And um, money laundering or whatever they're being charged with now, that is nothing to mess with. No, no, no. It's bad. And it was so piggish. It was so piggish. There are ways to do payoffs like this where you don't expose yourself to this. this they paid more for that than probably the kid would pay to, to, to send their kid to college. Oh, they could without question. Kids to college. Without question. The access is always worth more than the actual fees. Hey, right? listen, you had a, um, a cameo in your tease with Anderson. You, you know, it was Dan Rather. Oh, yeah. I know. Not to be outdone, I have a great journalist here. Can you please come in, sir? He's, he's <sighs> Look, look at that. Do you see who that is? Is that Sanjay Gupta? <laughs> that, he's not, he can't hear you. Oh, but he, he is. Sanjay is going to be on the show tonight. He's going to. Are you going to tell? He's going to tell us how to live forever. How to keep you guys healthy. Both, okay. both well, body and on. brain. He's going to. We're going to tape it in a little bit. But he's going to tell us how to live. Well, a better life. Yes. How small longer, Sanjay happier, looks. Better. Well, he said his chair is down. That's because I have my chair jacked oh, up so I can is see. Is Chris making fun of my. Okay. <laughs> he's making you know fun what? of your height. He's saying you're you ever short, see the video of Sanjay, Sanjay carrying me on his back? Guy, I know. No, you, Just wait, ask wait, him. Is there a video of you carrying Chris on his back? <laughs> yeah. Do we have that? Yeah, no. <laughs> Show that. We, we don't have that. You know what? I was just asking Sanjay about I was at dinner with uh, some folks uh, earlier in the year, and they were talking about um, there, maybe there's pills or medications that will, can, keep you, can make you live forever, like these eternity pills that they're testing now. <laughs> That's crazy. That's yeah. But that's not part of your. You don't want to do that, do you? No, I would not want to live forever. Not with these creaky bones, and you know, I'm not all there. (laughs) I got more than that guy, but (laughs) sure you do, Don. I'll see you in a second. (laughs) I wish I could hear. Say hello to Sanjay. It's always better when someone can't hear what you're saying. All right, it's a big week. We have a series of CNN 2020 presidential town halls kicking off in minutes with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, New York. But first, a closing argument. It's about the man who says he's just playing by the rules. These are important times and weighty matters. What did we learn about the AG today? We now know something for sure, and I'll argue it next. Argument. The AG is not neutral on the Mueller report or any matter regarding this president. I am not accusing the AG of anything illegal. I am not intending to attack. To be fair, it would be unusual for an AG, a political appointee essentially, to be unfriendly to the cause of the president who installed him. But this is an unprecedented time when the same old won't cut it. 
So let's just look at the facts. This man came out of political retirement. Why? A memo dated 8 June 2018 in which he questioned the need for the Mueller probe, took a position favorable to the president on obstruction. He then got the job and he refused to recuse himself from overseeing the same probe he trashed. I argue he would never have gotten the job if he had not taken the two prior steps. Then, as AG overseeing the Mueller probe that ends soon after he takes his position, he does three things that fuel this argument. One, he keeps to a strict reading of the special counsel statute that has in the guidelines a provision for only a report directly to the AG. Janet Reno, AG, and the only other special counsel probe on the record, directed the office of the special counsel to release directly to the public. Barr could have, but did not. Then, he summarizes Mueller's nearly 400-page offering in a weekend, four-page letter. However, bad fact for my argument. He takes the step of quoting Mueller's unusual and unusually damning language that POTUS was not exonerated on the issue of obstruction. He didn't need to do that. He could have argued Mueller's call was to prosecute or not, not to find innocence. But he put it out there, and it was bad for POTUS. But then he gave POTUS a gift that is nowhere in the special counsel regulations. When Mueller came to him, and Deputy A.G. Rosenstein weeks earlier and said there was basically equal evidence on the side of making a case or not making a case on obstruction, Barr decided to make the decision for him. You could argue Mueller did what he did with his unusual language because he was signaling Congress, not Barr. But Barr took the decision, cleared the president. Then we have the issue of disclosure. Again, we have precedent. Remember, Janet Reno, as A.G., released almost all the findings of the special counsel on the Branch Davidian matter right to us. Barr instead created four categories of potential exclusion, including one that would redact info of any non-indicted third party. He uses the word peripheral, which is good. Otherwise, this line may even clear POTUS of any exposure in the report. But in a matter like what Mueller was looking at, certainly telling less than the full story is going to be less than satisfying. The AG knows this and knows he could do otherwise. And it is hard to look at the decision as not favoring the cause of POTUS and those close to him. It is not just by the book. Then we have today, where the AG seemed more like a White House counselor than your top law enforcement official. Talk about what the White House knew about his letter. No thanks. Talk about separating families. Avoid the law and talk about the president not wanting to separate families. Why is he fighting in court to abolish the Affordable Care Act? Skirt the question and hey, the president has a plan to replace it, which he must know is just spin. The truth came out. There's no plan until after the elections. Why offer that as AG? None of today was a good look. All of it makes my case that if the AG is playing by the book, it is a political playbook. And the fact that doing so does not make him unique does not make his actions unproblematic. This is not any other administration. It is a unique time with unique needs for disclosure. If we want to understand the facts and move forward after this probe, and we must do that, we need disclosure. This closing is a warning. When you don't provide full disclosure, you diss the prospect of closure. You see what I did there? If the president wants this to go away, he should make the AG help him by releasing the report. Thank you for watching. A CNN presidential town hall with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.